If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we're going to continue in our study of Romans. And uh, hope that maybe even you've been reading ahead just a little bit and uh, working through some of it, being reminded of some of the things we've said over the last few weeks. And um, it's been amazing this week as kind of like life has kind of taken a little bit of detour. You know, I don't know about you, but... Anybody ever experienced that detour you didn't plan? I mean, anybody enjoy detours? I hate detours. Uh, I am not that guy who will, as we're on a trip, try to figure out. I mean, this, let's go back 25 years before GPS, before Garmin, before smartphones. Um, back when you actually had to look at a map once in a while. I mean, some of you guys wouldn't know what to do with a map if it, you know, someone threw it at you. You'd have no clue. But I remember the days of actually, that was kind of something fun we did. Every time we crossed the state line, we'd go into the information center and grab a map and look at them and kind of plan it all out. And, uh, of course, I had one of those. I still have one of the big mat, at, big uh, atlas you know, books that you know, truck drivers use. And most of the time I just say, hey, Dad, how do I get from here to here? The guy was a trucker for several years. So he just said, go here to here to here here all across the United States. And uh, he, he was dead on major highways, but uh, I remember, I'm not that guy who likes detours. I mean, if I'm going somewhere, I can remember being in the hills of Arkansas on our honeymoon thinking, I am not taking a wrong turn. So I stopped in here, and I said, I need to get to here. I have no clue where I'm at, because it's not on the map. Where do I need to go? And they go, oh, yeah, just go. I hate wasting time. I'm one of those guys that just want to get there, get going, get done. And so all this has been just one big detour. But God works in the detours. And uh, I've, I've been amazed at that. Um, there's nothing sacred anymore, too, once you, they find out you have heart surgery coming up. There's nothing sacred. Your body's not your own. And uh, I'm in there, and I don't know about y'all, but it's just like, I, I'll just say, I, I, don't, I, I want a man doctor. I mean, I'm sure there's nothing under the sun that they haven't seen yet, but I just want a man doctor. You know, guys, let's be honest, right? Thank you, all four of you, telling the truth. <laughs> Um, so I'm sitting in there and they're like checking all the pulses all around your whole body and like laying on this table and, you know, they got a blood pressure cuff on, my, on this foot and on this foot and on around this knee and this knee and, you know, checking pulses everywhere that you think you might have a pulse. And I'm thinking, is this really necessary? Yes. And I'm sitting there in that moment saying, okay, Lord, this is not real cool. It's not real comfortable. So I just started saying, the lady says, you nervous? No. I said, I'm really not. And she kind of looks at me as she's got cuffs everywhere. And she, I said, she goes, not a little bit. And I said, actually, no, I'm not. And she goes, I said, God's got this. I said, he's, he's got the control. It's in his control. And obviously not being a believer, right on to the next question. Let's kind of get on to a new conversation. But God works in the detours. And I've been able to do that like four or five times in the last week and a half so far. You've got to take the opportunities that God gives you. And that's why I come back to what we said last week. As you look at last, last week's message on Romans 9, uh, verse 1 says, I am telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies of me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed. I don't know if you've thought about that again this week. But every one of us has choices and consequences. Every one of us has an opportunity to 
to, to, to make the most of those circumstances that God gives you. And either use it for Him or don't. But it's your choice. He's not going to make you do it. But I find that God works even through those difficult circumstances. And I can't stand up here and preach this, or this week sit down, and preach this, and not say I'm not trying to live it out in my own life. So I'm saying, God, give me opportunities. And as I start to pray God gives me opportunities, guess what? He's given me opportunities. I just have to believe that if we ask God to do it, I'm just telling you, some people are so spiritually minded that they know of earthly good. They know all the answers, can tell you all the verses, and you know, they, they, they've been through that. They, I like what John MacArthur says in this one aspect. One of the greatest dangers that any of us can do is come to church, pastor says, open his Bible, and it's like, oh, I've read that before, and we're going to coast mode. Don't go into coast mode. You may have heard it. You can probably teach it better than I can some days. But don't go into coast mode. Take what God gives us and use it and apply it to your everyday living. If you don't apply what we learn every week, it's worthless. It really is. So use it. So that has been on my heart and my mind for the last several weeks since I was preparing for that message and for not knowing what was coming up. But I wish myself accursed. And we talked about that word accursed, an anathema. He says, I wish that I could honestly trade places with this person over here who doesn't know Jesus, who's on his way to hell. I wish that some way, somehow, knowing what he's going to face, I wish I could trade places with him. In fact, if we knew what awaited us, we wouldn't want them to go there. I mean, if we knew what awaited them in hell, we would not want them to go there. But we don't think about that often. We don't. Let's be honest. We don't think about it enough. As we look at this next text of Scripture, and I'll be honest with you, I had six appointments this week, and my time was crazy. And I'm saying, God, give me the, give me the wherewithal to present this well. But as I look through this, and especially knowing I can't the next couple weeks, I'm looking at this, and this is not an easy passage, this next text. We look at verses 9 through 13. If you would follow along as I read it, it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's seed. But through Isaac your seed will be named. That is, the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are considered as seed. For this was the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when when she had conceived Twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything, good or bad, so that the purpose of God, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. When you look at this, you say, wow, what? that's a bunch of tongue-twisting words. What is he really saying? I'm glad you asked. We're going to get into it in just a moment. Well, let's look at the word... Or let's look to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started here. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can come to you and that you speak to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding of your word this morning as we seek to apply it to our hearts and our lives. I ask God that you would, through your Holy Spirit, illuminate it. And now, Lord God, I pray that your will be accomplished. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting here. It says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. There were the Jewish folks who said, it's not working. What you said is not true. This, is not, this can't be how it really is. 
So he says, not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. You know, when I think of the word of God in this context, the phrase refers to the Old Testament covenantal promises that God's promises are sure. Um, when we think of God's promises to his chosen people, there are many who believe that say, well, God no longer has those promises in effect. The church has replaced that. Maybe, maybe that's what you believe, maybe you don't. But the reality is I believe that God, when God makes a promise, he fulfills his promise. When God says something is so, I believe that he's not going to change his mind on that. And so just to kind of show you that, keep your finger in um, Romans chapter 9, but I'm going to just show you several verses that give reiteration to this. And the first one is in Numbers chapter 22, or I'm sorry, 23, and verse 19. And uh, my translation may not be the same as yours. That's okay, but uh, Numbers 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said it and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not establish it? God makes it very clear that when he says something, he will fulfill exactly what he says. And for us to come to the idea that, well, you know, that's old, that's changed, he doesn't really do that anymore, he's got a new plan, well, that goes against God's very word. In Joshua chapter 20, uh, 21 and verse 45, he says this, Not one promise of the good promises which Yahweh had promised to, those, to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. What does that tell us? That we serve a God whose word is real. A God who says, what I say I'm going to do, I will do. And so we can have concrete assurance of that very fact. In over just a couple chapters, in chapter 23 and verse 14, he says this, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good works which Yahweh your God spoke concerning you has ever failed. All have come to pass for you, not one word of them has failed. God says, what I say will happen. Uh, go over to 2 Kings chapter 10. As we're making our way across there, 2 Kings chapter 10. In verse 10, he says this, Know that nothing from the word of Yahweh, which Yahweh spoke concerning the house of Ahab, shall fall to the earth. Indeed, Yahweh has done what he spoke by the, by the hand of his servant Elijah. Even when it comes through the hand of his servants, God says, I will do what I say I'm going to do. Let's look at one, two more. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. Two more books here, I should say. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8, he says this. The grass withers... The flower fades, but the word of our God stands, how long? Forever. Then go over to chapter 55 and verse 11. Chapter 55 and verse 11, he says this. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what pleases me and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Over and over, God just reassures us that when He says something and says something is going to happen, it will absolutely happen. And the last one is Isaiah 59, verse 21. It says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your seed, nor from the mouth of your seed's seed, says Yahweh, from now and forever. Here's the idea as we look at Romans chapter 9. Over and over he says, what I say is going to happen is going to happen. 
So when he says in verse 6, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed, the Word of God will never fail. What God says is going to happen will happen. So what God says He will do, that He will do. As we look at verse 7, he says, Nor are all they the children of children, because they are of Abraham's seed. Through Isaac your seed will be named. That is, the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are considered as seed. This is a big tongue-twisting phrase. If you let yourself, your mind gets, kind of get wrapped up in it, it's almost just a little bit confusing. But can I just break down real simple? Just because you are Jewish or an Israelite, doesn't necessarily mean that you're in good standing with God. See, we saw that in the first chapter, first eight chapters of the book of Romans. Well, I, I, I fulfill the law. I carry, I, I abide by all the guidelines, all the, all the, the rules, the regulations, the stipulations. I mean, I, I follow them all. And he says, no, if you, if you're guilty in one account, you've, you're guilty in all. You're a sinner. And so just because you think that you're better than someone doesn't make you necessarily right with God. I like what Spurgeon writes. Spurgeon said this, he said, Now Isaac was not the child of Abraham's flesh. He was born according to the promise when his mother was past age, and his father well stricken in years. His was the birth according to the promise, and that, it, that, the, that it is this way the line of grace runs. Not according to the flesh, but according to the promise. He gets better. If then all my hope of heaven lies upon my being a child of godly parents, is an Israelitish hope, and good for nothing. If my hope of heaven lies upon my having been born according to the promise of God, born of His grace and of His power, in that line the covenant stands. God is determined that it shall be so. So he says, listen, it's an amazing thing. Let me, let me give you an illustration. When I was in um, Bible college, I spent a summer in Holland, Michigan. Uh, in Holland, Michigan, there's a Reformed seminary there. And it was amazing as we would go out just talking to people in the streets and just kind of out just sharing sharing about Jesus and inviting people to church and so forth, there was this strong teaching that emanated from that particular Reformed seminary. And the, and, the, and the principle was this. Everyone should get saved, but if you don't, it's okay as long as your parents were saved. That's kind of how they pushed it. I mean, I should have my own relationship. I know I should get saved, but if I don't, as long as I'm in the... You know, I'm underneath the auspice of my parents. My parents were good Christians. They, they put their faith in trusting Jesus. And we, I began to notice this quite consistently throughout the town of Holland, the city of Holland, Michigan. And it emanated from the Reformed Seminary that was there. And we began to understand that, wait a minute, your parents may have been godly people. Your parents may have made a commitment and, a, and, a, and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But if you haven't, it doesn't matter what your parents have done. You're still, except, except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of heaven. So you're not getting in on your shirt tails of your grandparents or your parents or, or someone else that you may be related to just because they had a relationship. We are all accountable to God for our own walk, right? So the reality is, we can't get on. This is the concept. So I don't care if you're born of Abraham. See, you might be Jewish by blood. You might be Israelitish by blood. But the reality is, that doesn't make, make you necessarily error the promise god's word has not failed and what he says is so and just because one may actually be an israelite outwardly or physically does not make him one spiritually you remember what he said let's go back to romans chapter 2 bring your fingers back there just for a moment romans chapter 2 verses 28 and 29 he says for he is not a jew who is one what's the word outwardly 
Just because you may look Jewish, just because you may be Israelitish, nor is circumcision that which is an outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and the praise is not from men, but from God. Why? Because it's not just about going through the rules, the regulations, and following all the, all the guidelines. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he reiterates that same thing in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He says this, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness righteous of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be counted to them. So the reality is it wasn't whether or not they were circumcised. It was not whether or not they were a Jewish person outwardly or of the Israelite background. It's, no, it's of the heart. See, God came into the world to save sinners, right? He came to give His, His salvation to all mankind, not to just those who were of specifically Abraham's seed. He said God's Word has not failed in any way, shape, or form. I like what Smith's Bible commentary says here. And I want to just highlight a couple things that he says. He says, now that, it, now that is using Israel in a spiritual sense. The word literally means governed by God. question is, are we governed by God? Do we allow God to rule us in every aspect of our life? So he says it literally means to be governed by God. And it was the name that was given to Jacob after he had wrestled with the Lord all night long. And in the morning when, he, when light began to break and Jacob was a broken man, in a little while he is going to be meeting his brother Esau with 200 men. And the last time he saw Esau, he was threatening to kill him. He is a broken man. The angel of the Lord finally touched his thigh and made him a cripple. And in this, crippled, or in this breaking, he, he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Really? That isn't quite as it sounds because Hosea tells us that he said that with weeping and tears... He wasn't now coming from a position of advantage, but from a position of desperation and defeat, and really should probably be, please don't go without blessing me, as he was weeping and crying out as a broken man. And the angel said to him, what is your name? And he said, heel catcher. And the angel said to him, your name will no longer be heel catcher, but Israel governed by God. Isn't that amazing? So when we start looking at this, and we see what God is saying here, He says there in verse... Seven, nor are they all the children because of Abraham's seed, but through Isaac your seed will be named. God can change everything when we have a relationship with Him. Now, just because man says, well, I'm an Israelite, does that does not necessarily mean that he is governed by God. Right? So not all who are Israel are really Israel, is what he's saying here. So notice the application. This is one thing that God spoke to me about concerning this. Just because you may be Jewish outwardly, just because you may have gone through circumcision outwardly, just because outwardly you may abide by the laws, the guidelines, the commandments, and so forth, just because outwardly you may look the part, doesn't necessarily mean that you are in right standing before God governed by Him. Not all who say, I am a Christian, are really Christ-like. Which is the name supposed to imply Christ-like. I don't like asking people if they're a Christian because the bottom line is most people I ask, are you a Christian? What's the common answer? Yeah. What does that even mean anymore? Well, it's all, up to, it's all subjective. It's whatever you think it means or whatever you want it to mean. Or, uh, you know, I, I, it's kind of an interesting conversation I had with my therapist uh, a couple weeks ago the, you know, uh, at, at, at shoulder therapy after the surgery. And, 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 and she says, well, you know, we're both Christians. And I said, oh, what's your background? 
And she says, I'm a Unitarian. <laughs> I thought to myself, <laughs> I said, I think we're on opposite ends of the spectrum here. And she goes, well, not really. I think we have more in common than we have, have apart. And I'm like, no, I don't think we do. <laughs> but it opened the door for another conversation for at least seven or eight minutes. And so we took the opportunity to have a conversation. But here's the idea. There are so many people who claim to know Jesus, but their life doesn't back it up. Right? So... Your, word, your walk walks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks, right? Actions speak louder than words. The reality is there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, but their life doesn't back it up. Um, so the better question is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you follow Jesus Christ in your daily living? What does that even mean? We talked about that a little bit Thursday night. What does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? What does it mean to walk with Him? I think we have a skewed view of that sometimes. A lot of times. So not all who say I'm a Christian are really Christ-like. You know. So it's not the name. And so there were those that were boasting. They thought because they were of Israel, they were of Israel. Because I'm from this family line, I'm, I'm in, so to speak. I'm just in, I don't have to worry about it. Well, not all who are of Israel are of Israel. Not all of them are governed by God who descended from this man. So then he goes down and breaks it down a little bit further here in verse 9. He says, for this is the word of the promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done yet anything good or bad, so that the purpose of God according to His choice would stand, not because of His works, because of Him who calls. He says, why? Because I have said so. So let's break that apart just a little bit. He says, our father Isaac's. God's choice between Ishmael and Isaac seems somewhat logical to us, right? I mean, we could look at the circumstances and say, well, that kind of makes sense just a little bit. But it's a lot harder to understand why God chose Jacob to be the heir of God's covenant of salvation instead of Esau. And the, I, mean, I mean, if you're going to really think that through, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us as humans, right? We might not understand it as easily, but God's choice is just as valid whether we understand it or not. Why? Because He has willed it to be so. I don't have to understand why God does what He does, but I do have to accept it. I don't have to understand it, but I do believe it. And there's so many things in Scripture that over the years I've had to work through and study through and and pray to God to say, teach me through this. And I don't always get it right away, but I trust it. I'm not going to question whether or not it's true or right or why He did it. I'm going to trust His Word as valid and right and true and best for me, so I need to accept it. Someone said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It doesn't matter whether you believe it. God said it, that settles it, right? The reality is, I don't have to understand it. God's choice between the two seems somewhat logical, but God's going to do what He's going to do. And it's my job to accept it. And then He says, not yet being born nor having done any good or evil. God's decision was not based on the performance of Jacob or Esau. Think about that just for a moment. It was not based on performance. Uh, the decision was made before they were born. I mean, look, at it says right there, uh, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet had not done anything good or bad. Sometimes we have this idea that, you know, we have to have this certain persona, we have to have this certain lifestyle, and, and you know, we can't do anything, and i got to get to this level, and then God will have His blessing on me. His decision was made before they'd ever done anything good or bad. Right? I mean, you can't argue that. But the decision was made before they were born. Why? 
that the purpose of God according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. So we do not think that God chose Jacob over Esau because He knew their works in advance, though God in His infinite wisdom did. He did know that because He knows all things. But Paul points out that it is not was not of works. Instead, the reason for choosing was found in Him who calls Him. God called Him. God was going to use Him. And God was going to accomplish His will through Him. Why? Because that's what God does. Think about that. It wasn't about what they did or didn't do. For though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that the purpose of God, according to His choice, would stand. So here's another thing that we have to understand. It's about His purposes, not our own. Think about that. Question. Just be honest. Between you, yourself, and God. (laughs) You three. Work it out. The reality is, how often do we daily seek to fill the purposes of God in our life? I think most of us are on autopilot. Anybody agree? You get up in the morning, take a shower, Get your coffee, get dressed, go to work, do your thing. Autopilot. Some, we've been doing the same thing for so many years that if any one of those slight little things gets out of whack, we are, I mean, our old days messed up. Ran out of coffee. Why, why didn't somebody get coffee? I mean, the whole day's messed up. We're on autopilot. Do we really think about abiding? so that God's purposes can be fulfilled. God does what He does so that His purposes will be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but that's, that takes surrender. It takes humility. It takes submission. Those are not words that we like in our human vernacular. Those are not things that we as men especially don't like. We don't like submission. We don't like humility. We don't like surrendering our will to someone else goes against our flesh but he said he did it for his own purposes and you know what i don't even have to understand or agree with his purposes but i do need to accept them but he said the older shall serve the younger the intentions of god towards rebecca before the children were born and he repeated his verdict long after jacob and esau had both passed from the earth He said, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We should regard the love and the hate as regarding his purpose in choosing one to become the heir of the covenant of Abraham. In that regard, God's preference could rightly be regarded as a display of love towards Jacob and hate towards Esau. I like what Morris cites. Dr. Morris cites an example where hate clearly seems to mean something like loved less. And he gives several examples of that in Genesis 29, 31 and verse 33. Uh, Deuteronomy 21.15, Matthew 6.24, just a couple of things. But he says it's a picture. When he says, if, if my disciples, my followers don't hate their father and mother, is he telling them to hate them? No. But he should love God more as though it would appear that I hate them and love them, him. In comparison, in reference, one should be loved significantly more than the other. And that's, I believe, is the idea here. 
Yet he agrees with Calvin's idea that the real thought here is much more like accepted and rejected more than understanding the terms of loved and hated. So overall, we see that Esau was a blessed man. We see that in Genesis 33, 8-16, all of Genesis 36. God hated Esau in regard to inheriting the covenant, but not in regard to blessing in, the, in the, this life or the next. A woman once said to Mr. Spurgeon, he goes, I cannot understand why God should say that he hated Esau. That, Spurgeon replied, is not my difficulty, madam. My trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Put yourself in Jacob's place. Seriously. It's not an idea that God would hate someone, though there are places in the Old Testament where God says he hated these people. But it's the idea of this. How could God love a sinner like me? How could God love a sinner like me? And we've said it many times. Paul said he is the chiefest of sinners, but every one of us should argue with him that we're just as bad. All of our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. He says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful, wicked above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's not my difficult, difficulty, madame, to trouble is to understand how God could love Jacob. Put your name in there. How could God love a sinner like me? I don't know, but I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that he's patient. I've said for years, my favorite attributes of God is his patience, his forgiveness, his long-suffering, his forbearance. All those characteristics that, that wrap around my sinfulness and his patience with me. I said it before probably seven or eight years ago, but if God treated every sin like he did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, every church would need a morgue in its basement. God was quick to judge, quick to punish. And I lived for so many years like that. I thought just, man, my whole junior high, coming into senior high, I thought God was just right there, just, go ahead, Ken, mess up. I was just, I, I just, that's who I, that was my definition of God. It took me a long time to realize that God is patient. He's long-suffering. He gives us an opportunity to understand when we're not right with Him so that we can come back into fellowship with Him. And He forgives us when we... 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. But our responsibility is to what? To repent of it. To turn our back from it. To confess it and forsake it. And He says, when you do that, He goes, I will forgive you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be what? White as wool. Snow. The reality is God is a patient God. <laughs> Jacob, have I... Or I'm sorry. Jacob, I loved, but Esau, I hated so I love one more, but the question is, He loves us all. One of the greatest errors in considering the choices of God is to think that God chooses for subjective reasons. There's How, how many understand everything that God does? But it should make sense to us. I mean, why did God do that? I, there's just some things that are not subjective to us. We don't understand. As if He chooses in a nonchalant way. We may not be able to understand God's reasons for choosing the things the way He does. I don't. There's some things I don't understand. Why would the older serve the younger? It doesn't make sense. Not, it's not logical. I mean, I'm the oldest child, so therefore I should be in charge. I'm the oldest one here, I should be in charge. From human perspective, a lot of these things don't make sense. But God, what He does in His wisdom... 
and it is in His wisdom, doesn't always make sense to us. But we accept it by faith. So when I start looking through this passage, there are a couple key things that just jump out to me. God's Word has not failed. What He says is so. He will fulfill what He says He's going to do. If God says He's going to come for us one day, guess what? He's coming. I look forward to that day with excitement and anticipation. Number two, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't necessarily mean they are. So the reality is that we should still challenge people with the gospel. Does your life show that you are walking with Jesus? Not just do you go to church. Not do you just help out on work day. Not do you just show up when it's convenient and help with a a gift to do this project. All that doesn't mean anything. If all it is is works without a relationship with Jesus Christ. So not all who are Israelites necessarily are of the promise, as he says. Another takeaway God's going to do what He does. God's going to do what He's going to do because He's God. And I don't have to understand it. But I trust it. I accept it. I'm going to live by faith. And it doesn't have to make sense to me. I don't know about you, but I need these reminders every day. I need them. It's not like, okay, we're going to run into Isaac and you know talk about Isaac's seed as we go out tomorrow morning. That's not going to happen. Not talking about Rebecca and the twins. But what we can talk about is God's word being true. That he fulfills what he says. That he's going to do what he's doing because he's God and he has the right to do it. Those are things that we can talk about and apply. And I hope that we do. Lord, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you would challenge us with these things. It's not just about going through the rules and the regulations and doing all the things that we think will please you, though we want to please you. It's about the relationship and trusting what you do in our lives as according to your purpose. You make no mistakes. I don't have to understand everything. You're God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to trust you more, to increase our faith, to submit to you more often and regularly. And I pray, God, that you would just do that now. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just for a moment, as we do each and every week, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Maybe this morning, those are some things that you've been challenged with. That God is a God of His Word. Maybe you say, well, I just haven't seen God do this or that or haven't seen Him answer prayer for a while. Maybe it's been hard to accept His Word as truth. But in eight scriptures, we saw that God says, what I say, that will I do. And what I say will not return void. Maybe this morning you say, I need to get back to just trusting God and His Word. Maybe this morning you say, well, I've been looking like an Israelite, looking like a Christian. But God knows my heart. I'm not really in a relationship with Him. Not walking in obedience. Not trusting His Word. I I don't know what your struggle is this morning. I don't know what it is that God has spoken to you through, if anything. 
And you say, Pastor Ken, this morning, God has challenged my heart. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes. In the back, in the side, yes. Yes, in the middle, in the front, in the side, yes. And I'll say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some things I'm struggling with. I don't understand why God's doing what he's doing. i got to trust his purposes. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Yes. Can I just challenge you, those who have lifted your hand, your heart towards the Lord this morning, just take a moment and pray. I think, once again, this comes down to that submission. God, what is it that you're wanting to do in my life? I'll trust it. I'll accept it. He doesn't make any mistakes, friends. He makes no mistakes. And in his wisdom, he's doing what's best and what's right according to his purposes. Even though you may not understand it regardless of whether it may be logical or illogical to you. Take a moment and say, Lord, I submit. I surrender. I commit. And walk with Him. Abide in Him. Dwell on His Word. Be in constant prayer, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing in every aspect. Be talking, having in a conversation with God. Let's all stand to our feet as we pray. Lord, there are things going on in many of these people's lives that only you know about. Thoughts, concerns, questions, frustrations. But God, we know that you are acutely aware of every one of them. You know what's going on before anyone even opens their mouth because you're God. And Lord, we realize from your word that everything you say is so. You fulfill everything that you promised to fulfill. And I pray, God, for each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. God, that you would allow them to see your presence at work in their lives this week. That, Lord, they would continuously submit to you, surrender to you, commit to you. And, Lord, that all of us who claim to be a part of your family, Lord, that our actions would speak as loud as our words. God, help us. The world needs to see people who don't just talk, but they walk. And Lord, I pray we would not be silent either. That we would speak forth of that which you have shown us. So Lord, be with us as we go our way, Lord. I pray that you would just challenge us throughout every hour of the day, Lord, to be in fellowship with you and to walk with you that we may be filled with your Spirit. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.